This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. A's are the world champions. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Dave Feldman is going to join me for a little Green and Gold History. We're going to do top 10, as we've been doing all season long, all year long. But we decided since we're coming up on the new year and we're closing out a decade. We're going to do top 10 of the decade. I pre- We've pretty much gone all around the diamond. Is there, anybody, is there any other position that we need to do that we can tackle this all the way up to spring training? So we're getting Dave Feldman on the line. Feldy, how are you? I'm good, Tony. How are you? I am wonderful. I was just trying to think. What top ten have we not done for green and gold history from a standpoint of position players or pitchers? We've pretty much done everything, right? I think we're down to just closers and managers. All right. We will do that in the new year. I think it's perfect what we're going to do now. Since we're closing out this decade, we're going to do top ten of the decade. Nice. But before we get to your top ten – as we always do, all, and it's really one of the fun parts of this, is your honorable mention, guys. Yeah, and this time we're going to take a little bit of a different tack and do sort of our not top ten of the decade. And these are fellas that just, just didn't work out in the green and gold. Uh, guys like Brett Laurie came over in the Donaldson trade, supposed to play third base. Didn't work out. No. <laughs> uh, free agent pitcher Ben Sheets in 2010. Did not go well. Uh, Billy Butler. Ike Davis. Brian Fuentes. And my vote for the not top 10 A's of the decade, Jim Johnson. Wow. Yeah, he's another one of those he's he's another one of those guys that you you like go from year to year. Like how can one year you be unhittable and then the next year you can't get people out? Yeah, and, and just he was put in situations to win ball games and it he never won those games. It was so bad every time he took the hill and there was just this feeling of dread anytime he was pitching. And it was just it was just a bad situation. Now he left the A's and he went on. He pitched for Atlanta and he actually pitched pretty well at times. But for whatever reason, in Oakland, it did not work out. And it was 
It really was. It was it was about as bad as a performance as we've seen from a player, uh, especially from an A's player in, in the decade of 2010 to 2019. Any more? Are we going to our top 10? Well, here are the guys who just missed on the top 10. Okay. These players, uh, honorable mention, definitely some people could have them in their list. They just missed out from me. Uh, Liam Hendricks. Uh, he was just for the A's for a long time now, and he was, he was, he was good. Uh, he's had some rough patches. Obviously, he got designated. We know the story. But last year, lights out, unbelievable. Uh, just missed. Gio Gonzalez from the beginning of the decade. Bartolo Colon. Everybody loved Bartolo. Uh, Sean Manaya. Uh, Steven Vogt, a two-time All-Star. Did not make the top ten. Uh, Josh Reddick. And just missing out, Matt Olson, the A's current first baseman. What? Steven Vogt. A two-time All-Star did not make your top ten. Well, I am now very, very curious about your top ten. Well, you know, you know, you're talking ten seasons of A's baseball, and you're talking five playoff years. Right? That's pretty good. Half your seasons in this decade, the A's went to the postseason. So that means you have a lot of good players and a lot of good players to choose from. And unfortunately, some guys, even if you're a two-time All-Star like Stephen Vogt, you just didn't quite make the cut. Yeah, and Josh Reddick was on a lot of those playoff teams. He was, and a gold glover and a fabulous 2012 season. Um, again, just missed. All righty, top 10 players of this past decade, number 10. Number 10 is Grant Balfour. And we talk about the beginning part of this decade, and the A's had a little trouble finding a closer uh, after they traded Houston Street. Uh, Andrew Bailey, now the current Giants pitching coach, uh, he was going to be the guy, right? Rookie of the year, looked everything, looked promising, but injuries sort of derailed him. Uh, the A's then turned to Brian Fuentes, who we talked about, did not work out well there. Ryan Cook took over as a rookie, and everything looked, looked rosy with Ryan Cook, and then he became ineffective. And that's where Grant Balfour really stepped into that closer role. He was part of the A's in 2011 just as a setup guy with a 2.47 ERA. But he always had that way about him, that, that closer mentality. You can see it. And in 2012, after Ryan Cook faltered, Grant Balfour steps in in August. And from August 11th to the, rest of the, the end of the season, he went 17 for 17 in saves. And this is an A's team that came back to win the AL West on the last day of the season. A lot of that is because Grant Balfour shut the door. And then in 2013, he's 38 for 41 in saves. He's an all-star, an ERA of 2.59, and he was that end-of-the-ball-game guy. Right? The right field bleachers are going crazy. Balfour's on the mound. You can see the smoke coming out of his ears. He was what a closer needed to be. I thought Grant Balfour, for the success of those early 2012-2013 A's, he was such a huge reason for that success. Yeah, and, and, and it, it... – just goes to show that it's not always about stuff that confidence plays so big because like he doesn't have like Blake trying and stuff he's not he wasn't throwing 98 with sink there was just something about his inner will and his confidence that led him to be a terrific closer at one point in his career yeah and that's the thing about the ninth inning and everybody talks well you know three outs in the ninth they're no more important than the three outs in the eighth. Well, no, they are. Because there's no, there's no room to fail. There's no cushion there, right? 
you fail in the ninth inning, that's it. You might lose the ball game because of that. Your your offense might not get another chance to hit. There is something different, and you need that certain personality who can take that ninth inning, grab it by the horns, and just shut the other team down. And you're right. Balfour at times did not have the best stuff, but his attitude and his makeup made him the perfect closer for those A's teams. I love it. Number nine. Number nine is Brandon Moss. Again, back to the early A's playoff teams of the decade. Again, to me, a, a, a roster changer in 2012 when he joined the club. You go back to that 2012 season, the A's were not off to a good start, much like most seasons for the A's. They tend to get off to a slow start. But they're into June, and they have a guy down in the minor leagues named Manny Ramirez. And the A's have a decision to make. Are they going to bring Manny Ramirez to the big leagues and make him the A's DH? And the A's decided, no, they were going to go with Brandon Moss. And maybe not a better decision, roster decision was made in the decade for the A's to go with Brandon Moss. He comes up in 2012. You know, he had a cup of coffee with the Pirates and the Red Sox. They always tried to change his swing. And the A's said, just do what you do. And this is a big swing left-handed hitter. And for the last 84 games in 2012, he hit 291, hit 21 bombs. Comes back in 2013, playing a mix of first and right field, a little DH, 30 homers, 87 runs batted in. 2014, this is a year that he was actually injured for the last couple months. 25 homers still, 81 RBIs, was an all-star. And in the wild card game, two homers, five RBIs. Brandon Moss, that decision to put him as the A's DH or right fielder, it really changed the fortune of those A's playoff teams in the early 20, 12, 13, 14 seasons. And it really just goes to show how hard this game is that there was a point that when Moss was signing with the A's, he was thinking about retiring. He wanted to go. I don't care. He was from somewhere in the South, and he was talking about going home and becoming a firefighter. And then he gets with the A's. Next, you know, he's an all-star. He's in the postseason. But – it just shows how mental this game is as we talk with Balfour. Now we talk with Moss. One moment you're retiring, the next minute you're in the playoffs and you're an all-star. You're an all-star. And and it's being yourself and being true to yourself. Uh, you know, coaches up and down baseball, and you've seen it, Townsend, that they try and change things to what they think is going to work. Well, it doesn't work that way with all ball players, right? There's a reason Moss got to the, the position he was. In, in, in baseball because of this big swing and his ability to hit the ball out of the park. And for teams to try and change that, what a mistake on their part. This guy, once he got back to his natural being, was just a major league hitter with huge power. And you can't say enough about this. He was a phenomenal teammate in that clubhouse. Huge. You know, and the A's who have a history of, of great clubhouses. Um, which is fun-loving guys and almost that frat house mentality. Um, you know, this A's, that A's incarnation in 2012, 13, 14, is a little different, but Brandon Moss was such a glue to that team, such a good guy. And remember the 19-inning game against the Angels, and he hits the walk-off home run. That's what, almost 1.30 in the morning. Uh, and who's waiting for him in his car? He's been sitting in the car in the parking lot for about three hours, his wife and his kids. It's just that's the family thing. I always remember that, that here's his wife and kids waiting for him. And it kind of just encapsulated what a family atmosphere the A's were back then. No doubt about it. All right. Number eight. Number eight, the guy I think 
change the A's fortunes in many ways. And it maybe doesn't come out in the numbers, but it came out in, in his play and when he was no longer with the athletics. And that's Ioannis Cespedes. This was a guy who was different than what the A's had brought in. This was a Cuban international player who looked, who had skills, right? We, we saw the YouTube videos. Uh, other teams were interested in him, but the A's made the winning bet, bid. They brought Ioannis Espedes to Oakland, and from those first games in Tokyo, when he hit his first major league homer off Sean Kelly, that's still going, I think, in the Tokyo Dome. I don't think it's landed yet. Uh, he made such an impact on the team. He was that dynamic player that that A's team needed to be a winner. And 2012, uh, he finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting. I uh, had 292, 23 homers, 82 RBIs, stole 16 bases, had an unbelievable cannon of an arm, making play after play out there, finished 10th in the MVP voting. In the postseason that year, he hit over 300. Come back in 2013, a 26 home run year, postseason. He hits 381 with a homer, a double, a triple. Just that impact player that the A's hadn't seen, who could do it all. And then in 2014, again, an all-star year for him. But then it all changed when the A's decided to trade him for John Lester and kind of gutted that A's team, a team that at the time Billy Bean and the A's front office thought the A's needed more pitching, especially going into the postseason. Um, they didn't count on some of the injuries that happened in August, but losing Yoannis Cespedes just gutted that team offensively because that was how impactful he was. And, and showed up in the record, too. I mean, we used to see it all the time. A's record with Yoannis Cespedes in the lineup, A's record without. And it was, it was mind-blowing, the gap in winning when he was not in the lineup. And he was a guy that hit in the postseason. Yeah. He was, just, he was so – he changed the lineup because you were always afraid of him. You always had to know where Cespedes was in that lineup. When was he coming up to bat? And he made the Brandon Mosses, the Josh Donaldson, he made them all better because he was in there. It just I, the dynamic player, right? And that's, that's what winning ball clubs have. And the more of those guys you have, the more success you're going to have. And Joanna Cespedes at that time was a, as dynamic as any player in the game. Yeah, it was shocking when the A's got him. Uh, credit Billy Owens, but it was like, wow, the A's actually won this guy? They won the bidding, and then, uh, you know, I remember Bob Melvin say, hey, listen, he's the one guy in the lineup that the other team watches take batting practice. He was the ultimate show pony, the alpha male of that lineup, and when you took him out of it, you know, there wasn't a – God, there was such a hole when he left such a hole. And you remember batting practice? I, I still remember in the Tokyo Dome listening to the sound of the ball off his bat, and it was a sound that, as an A's fan, I hadn't heard since Jose Canseco used to take batting practice. It just... And that's it's magic. He was, he was a magical player for the Athletics. I remember talking with John Shea, our national baseball writer of the San Francisco Chronicle, saying, yeah, I haven't seen BP like this since Barry Bonds. Super Barry. All right, the, the, yeah. the, the enhanced Barry Bonds. We hadn't seen BP like that. Yoannis was and, – and you know what's so sad is where his career is today. We don't even know what kind of career he's going to have from here on out. No. No, now he's had the, the surgery on, on both feet. Uh, he hasn't really played in the last year and a half. They, had, they restructured his contract with the Mets. It has not gone quite the way we thought it was going to go for him after he left the A's, went to the Red Sox, 
uh, a little bit with the Tigers and then to the Mets and played in the World Series with the Mets. Um, it's a shame. It's a shame because I thought his career would, would be better than it is, uh, but the injuries and some other circumstances have uh, kind of nipped him in the bud. Number seven. Number seven is Jed Lowry. And you think about Jed Lowry, this was the A's second baseman in 2013 and 2014. Uh, this is a playoff, playoff team with ha- who had Jed Lowry playing shortstop and, and putting up offensive numbers as a shortstop that were really impressive. In 2013, he had 290 with 45 doubles. Now, 2014, the injuries start to get to him a little bit, and we can see him sort of slow down, especially in the field. But he was still able to get 29 doubles that year and a playoff year. Goes to Houston, but comes back to the A's in 2016. Only plays in 87 games, but now he's a second baseman. He has the surgery in the offseason. Comes back in 2017. And 2017 and 2018 are probably the two finest back-to-back offensive seasons an A's second baseman has ever had. In 2017, 49 doubles, an 808 OPS. In 2018, 23 homers, 37 doubles, 99 runs batted in. He's an all-star, finishes 20th in the MVP voting. He was as good an offensive second baseman like I said, we've, we've ever seen, especially having back-to-back years like that. And then defensively, he found a home at second. He didn't have to worry so much about the long throw. He didn't have to worry so much about the range. But he could make every play. He could turn the double play. And then in a big moment, I thought, for the A's in 2018, uh, Josh, um, Matt Chapman gets hurt, and he's going to miss a couple weeks. And Jed Lowry, without skipping a beat, goes over to third base, plays those two weeks, and plays as good as you can imagine for a fill-in for Matt Chapman with not, you know, never complain, I'm going to go do it. Just leadership that Jed Lowry showed right there to me. Uh, it's, it's tremendous A's player through, the, through this decade. There's no question, and we have seen throughout the years in Bob Melvin's tenure where the lineup moves a lot. Well, there was a time when every single game, Jed Lowry was hitting third, didn't matter who was pitching, righty-lefty, he was the anchor in the lineup. He really was, and he was so productive. Uh, you know, we talk about clutch, and, and I still believe in clutch hitting. I I think there is something to it, and he was that way. If you're late in the game and you had a runner in scoring position, you wanted to see Jed Lowry come up. He wasn't going to come through every time, but he was always going to give you a really tough at bat, and he was going to give you a chance. He really battled out there. Uh, just a gamer, and just it was a joy to watch. And, you know, there's talk now about the A's possibly bringing him back. Um, I don't think that's a bad decision at all. I think Jed Lowry can teach these guys a lot about baseball and a lot about winning baseball. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, always with Jed, it's about health. But the one thing that's happened in his career, when he plays for the A's, he's healthy. When he leaves the A's, he's not. Yeah, yeah, it does tend to work out that way. Come back home, you know, Stanford kid. Come play, play for the A's. You'll be healthy. Yeah, I like Jed. Jed is a good dude. All right, number six. Number six. The only starting pitcher to make my list, that's Sonny Gray. And we got to remember how good Sonny Gray was with the A's. I know the end of his tenure with the club, he was, he was battling some, some injuries and he wasn't quite as effective. Uh, but when he was healthy, 
he was as good a starting pitcher in the American League. And you think he comes up in 2013, he goes in the starting rotation, down the stretch, goes 5-3 and three with a 2.67 ERA, starts game two of the ALDS against the Tigers, throws eight shutout innings against Verlander. When he could not afford to give up a run, he didn't give up a run. And again, the A's eventually won. And when it came down to game five, it was a decision the A's had to make. Who was going to start that game? Was it going to be Bartolo Colon or Sonny Gray? This is how much they thought of Sonny Gray. They gave him the start in game five. Now, he pitched well. Unfortunately, he didn't pitch the shutout innings that was going to be needed against Verlander. But what does that tell you about what they thought about Sonny Gray to give him that start? And those, that confidence was rewarded in 2014, 14-10, ERA of 3.08, over 200 innings. 2015, even better now, 14-7, 2.73, again, 200 innings. He's an all-star. He finishes third in the Cy Young. I mean, he was one of the aces in the American League. 2016 and the part of 2017, some injuries started to get to him, and, and the effectiveness dropped off. But if you look at Sonny Gray, what he did last year with the Cincinnati Reds in, in an offensive ball pa- ballpark with an ERA under three in the National League in that city, uh, really impressive, really happy to see Sonny Gray get healthy and be effective again. Because when he was with the A's and when he was healthy, he one of the best starters, really one of the best starters, uh, in A's history. And I remember when he came back with Cincinnati and we got a chance to talk to him, you know, he really liked playing here. He really had a great connection with Bob and the staff and Sonny Gray. He he loved being here and uh, New York was just not the place for him. I, I don't think Sonny Gray, you know, Cincinnati, more smaller market like Oakland, not everybody's built to play in New York, and I just don't think he, he's that type of guy. His type of mentality is that guy that's going to succeed in New York. Yeah, it did not work out for him there, and then it became sort of a mental thing. Right? They weren't going to pitch him at home. He was only going to pitch on the road, and they just kind of messed with him. He still pitched in the playoffs for the Yankees, and he actually pitched pretty well in, in the series against the Astros that he pitched in. Um, but they, they lost confidence in him, and they did him a favor by, by sending him off to Cincinnati. Uh, I thought when the A's traded him uh, to the Yankees, I thought it was it was the right move. Uh, a team that was not really going anywhere in 2017, and they got three prospects back. Um, you know, we still we still haven't seen the fruits of that, but I think that can still happen. I think you know Kerpillian, uh, Mateo, Fowler. I think there's some things that can still come out of this Sunny Gray trade that's going to be fun to watch. No doubt, and Kerpillian. You know, we've been talking about how Fran reared, and we know what the big club's probably going to look like. But Fran Reardon and the Las Vegas Aviators, they're going to have a very strong rotation down in AAA. Kind of shows you the depth that the A's have right now. Yeah, they're going into the season with a lot of starters already at the major league level. And then you talk about what's going to happen in Vegas, you know, Dalton Jennings and Caprillion. There are some other guys, Grant Holmes, that are going to be filling up that roster. When it comes to starting pitching, and you normally don't say this, the A's have a lot of depth and a lot of quality depth that uh, I think is going to pay off. Number five. Number five. This man played in more games in the decade, scored more runs, stole more bases, and that's Coco Crisp. You talk about the A's in the decade of 2010 to 2019. Uh, He was part of it. 
for seven seasons from 2010 to 2016. Uh, he was there for those playoff runs. He was there for some bad seasons. But when he was there, he was effective. Now, he did have some injury issues starting right when he joined the club. He broke his finger in the Bay Bridge Series game at what was then AT&T Park. Um, kind of got his A's career off to a slow start. But, you know, 2013, he hits a career-high 22 home runs. He has big postseason moments. In 2012, game one, he leads off with a home run against Verlander. In game four, of course, he has a walk-off single. Don't forget game three of that series, he robbed Prince Fielder of a home run early in that game. Um, 2013 playoffs, he hits 389. He was a money player. Uh, lots of walk-off hits with the A's, lots of walk-off moments. Um, he was clutch. And he was mercurial at times, right? There were times he didn't want to play, and we had to, he had to coax him out to the field. He didn't like when they moved him to left field for a little bit. He liked to play center. Uh, but overall, as an A's career, uh, this guy goes down in Oakland history as playing a lot of games and being very successful. I got to be honest, honest with you. I'm shocked he's just five. Well, just you wait. Because <laughs> we all love Coco, and Coco now a part of our broadcast team with the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, he meant a lot. Of course, uh, something to be said about Coco is this. He wanted to be here. He wanted right. to re-sign. There are so many guys for a time where they – they talked the talk, but you knew they really didn't want to be here. They, it was lip service. Coco wanted to be here, always wanted to re-sign, and I think that's why Oakland A's fans will always remember him and love him. Yeah, exactly. He did want to be here. It wasn't like the Josh Willingham who was having a tremendous season saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to re-sign with the A's. He had no intention of ever staying with the A's. Uh, but Coco, he walked the walk. He wanted to be in Oakland. He was a huge Raider fan, probably still is. Um, you know, this, he felt comfortable in Oakland. And he was, you know, again, you talk about playoff teams and, and what he meant. When Coco was healthy and engaged and playing, he was, a, he was a tremendous leadoff hitter. He set the table and a very good defender. Coco, really important part of these A's teams. All righty, number four. So I almost want to say it's a tie for third because it's hard to separate these two guys. And they both played about the same amount of games with the A's in their career. And I'm talking about both Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson. And you can go 3-4 or 4-3, whichever, whichever order. Uh, such similar A's careers. Um, Josh Donaldson, uh, who was originally a catcher, uh, but the A's make him, turn him into a third baseman. And in 2012, he comes up... Uh, Again, in August, takes over as the everyday third baseman. Brandon Inge got hurt. Donaldson takes over the last 47 games. That, that A's team went 32-15. and 15. Josh Donaldson went, hit 290 during that time. And then in 2013, he explodes. He finishes fourth in the MVP voting. 301, 24 homers. 2014, he finishes eighth in the MVP voting. 29 homers, 98 RBIs. Really good third baseman. And a leader of that team. Pairing with Cespedes, again, in the middle of the lineup, just a really scary twosome for opposing pitchers to face. Uh, Josh Donaldson, he, he just took the A's to a different level with his play. And then Matt Chapman, very similar. He comes up in 2017, plays the last couple months, 14 homers, but then in 2018, 
Now he establishes himself, right? He's 24 homers. It's 278, finishes seventh in the MVP, wins the platinum glove at third base. Then 2019, last season, even more homers, more RBIs. And he finishes sixth in the MVP. His defense is even better than it is. Uh, having Donaldson and Chapman as your ace third baseman for, for playoff teams, I mean, that's how important these guys were. They were the corner. They were the rock cornerstones of these A's teams. Donaldson and Chapman, they were so similar. Now, unfortunately, Donaldson's A's career ended after 2014 season um, in a trade that can be debated, but I will tell you now it was a bad trade. It shouldn't happen. Uh, but Matt Chapman's going to be here. Uh, at least for a few more years and hopefully many more to come. Uh, and he's going to extend his, his A's career. Hopefully when we're doing this show in 2029, when we talk about the, the A's of the decades, we're going to be talking about Matt Chapman for that decade too. And I can say this about both of them. They're very similar from the standpoint that they play with a major edge and they expect all of their teammates to play with that edge also. And I saw, I've seen this with both guys. They are two guys that will police a clubhouse. And if you're somebody that's not on board, Josh Donaldson then and Matt Chapman now have no problem putting you in your place. They are leaders, and that's something that I respected about J.D. and what I respect so much about Chapman. Yes, it's talent. But the way they go about their business every single day, they're true vocal leaders. Right. And, and it's so important when the best player on your team is also the hardest worker on your team. Because if anybody else tries to slack off and you look, there's our all-star, there's our MVP candidate, and he's out early, right? He's working on his defense or he's taking early hitting. What am I doing? It forces everybody to reach that level. No one can take a day off. And both Donaldson and Chapman instilled that in the A's clubhouse. Uh, and we saw it early in Chapman's career. You know, as a rookie in 2017 with the, the game against the Angels, when he's yelling at the Angels catcher, uh, he was taking control right away. And like you said, Donaldson suffered no fools. I mean, he was there to play baseball, and he was there to win. Uh, and just tremendous grit on the field. Uh, the A's have been really lucky to have, uh, to have seen both of these guys. And again, hopefully to see Chapman for many more years to come. Okay, so I guess that's 3-1 and 3-B. So I guess we're now on number two. Number two. He had more home runs in the decade for the A's. He drove in more runs for the A's in the decade. And that's Chris Davis. And I think A's fans might be a little soured on the year he had in 2019 because it did not go well. But let's not diminish what he did for three years before that. 42 homers, 102 RBIs. 43 homers, 110 RBIs. 48 homers, 123 RBIs. Are you kidding me? You know what other athletic had had three straight seasons of 40 homers and 100 RBIs? That was double X. That was Jimmy Fox. That's a Hall of Famer. Chris Davis, for those three years, was at a Hall of Fame level in his power production. And, you know, not a big guy by stature comes over from Milwaukee, um, but huge in the plate. And I don't think in 2018 I can remember seeing a power hitter have such an effect late in games, especially games the A's were trailing. He would always seem to come through, always seem to get a big fly when the A's needed it most. 
I mean, this wasn't just padding numbers. This was a productive, power-hitting run producer. And for those three years, tremendous. Again, 2019 did not go as well. He struggled. Uh, injuries played a big part. I think running into that fence in Pittsburgh, I think that lingered throughout the season and really affected him. Um, I expect him to bounce back and be healthy, and you're going to see the sporting homers again. But for the A's to get a power hitter like that, again, a power hitter an A's franchise hasn't seen since Jimmy Fox, that's unreal. And that's why he's number two in the A's top ten players of the decade. And they're going to need a big bounce back here because you think of how good the A's were offensively this past year, winning 97 games without Chris Davis being Chris Davis. You know, what could it be like this year as all these young players are going to be one year better, and if Davis gets back to the 40-plus home run mark, wow, look out. No, exactly. And that's what's exciting about the, with the A's offense because you have these young hitters who are all coming into their own right now, and, and we're seeing it around the diamond. And if Chris Davis can be healthy and just be what he was, you're talking about another couple runs a game maybe that he could add to this team just with one swing of the bat, because he is that impactful. Um, you know, and the other thing about Chris Davis, you talk about somebody who wants to be here like Coco Chris. Chris Davis wants to be here. He obviously signed the extension with the A's. He could have became a free agent. He could have seen what else was out there. But he fits in in Oakland. He wants to be an Oakland athletic. Um, that says something, too, you know, for a guy to, to say, yeah, I could get a lot more money somewhere, somewhere else, but I'm happy here, and this is where I want to be. All right, number one, Oakland A of this past decade. And he's number one as the best player for the A's this decade, but he might be the most improved player in all of Major League Baseball over the course of this decade, and that is Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon took over as the A's everyday shortstop in 2015. Five seasons now he's been the everyday shortstop, half the decade. And we, we know the story. We know the defensive issues his first year. 35 errors. Could not make the routine play. Did not look like a major league shortstop. Um, but we also saw his bat. You know, in 2016, he had 27 home runs. We saw the power. But to see it all come together in the last two seasons and to see what he's become, not, as a ball play, not only as a ball player, but as just a human being, what a good guy Marcus Simeon is, a family man, a husband, a father. Uh, somebody in the community who gets things done, um, you know, a local kid playing at home. But to have the year that he had to finish third in the MVP voting as a shortstop, uh, 285, 33 homers, 92 runs batted in, 43 doubles, 123 runs, 892 OPS. I say these numbers because they got to sink in. What an unbelievable offensive season this guy had. And we're not even talking about his defense, which was gold glove caliber. Caliber From a guy who couldn't field at all, now you want the ball hit to him? I mean, you're watching the A's, and you're late in the game. You want a ground ball short. Where before, in 2015 and 16, that was the last thing you wanted. I just, I'm amazed. I've never seen a player improve like Marcus Simeon has to become this MVP. And we're just, you know, we're really lucky to have watched it because I think a lot of teams would have given up on him. And the A's didn't. The A's from, from really, from day one with him, said, you're our shortstop. And they did everything they could to make it work, you know, bringing in Ron Washington, which was huge. And Marcus himself, he deserves most of the credit because his, his work ethic, 
You know, we talked about Chapman and Donaldson and being out early and putting in the work. Well, that's what Marcus Simeon did, and he still does. He's out early, and now he is teaching those lessons to the other young Asian fielders. So his influence is going to go much more than just wins and losses with the A's. You're going to see the influence of Marcus Simeon throughout this A's organization. That's why he's the number one player for me in the decade. Everything you said was spot on, and that's why we bring you on. Um, Marcus is very, very special people, and as my late father used to say, he was raised right, and his impact, as I talked about Chapman and and Donaldson being vocal leaders, he's your ultimate leader by example from the standpoint of, if Marcus is out there early, how are you not out there early? If Marcus is busting it and you're not, he plays all 162 games. It's no question. Uh, there's something special about him and the humility. You know, we had him on uh, right before the MVP announcement. We had him on down at the winter meetings. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about his teammates. Uh, he's just the character. And I also think... He is the one guy that he his wife, while we were doing the interview and I was mentioning, you know, a contract extension, I said, you guys want to be here. And his wife said from like five feet away, yes, we do. It's like <laughs> he wants to be here. His wife wants to raise the kids here. His family is here. And I think for this organization going forward, I think it's going to be very impactful that they re-sign him for guys like Olsen and Chapman to really show what the future is going to look like for this ball club. Yeah, he to me, he reminds me of the A's version of Clay Thompson. Where Clay is so steady on the court, the way he plays. He doesn't need to be the superstar. He's okay. You know, Clay saying, hey, there's Steph or there was, there's Kevin Durant. They can be the all-star. They can be the, the superstar that everybody goes to. But I'm going to be the guy who plays every day and just be steady. And that's what Marcus Simeon is. He's, he's okay not being front and center. Like you said, you talk to him, he wants to talk about everybody else. He's not going to talk about himself. Um, just the way that he is. Um, yeah, the A's could re-sign him. Um, I don't know. The A's are going to have some decisions to make. Uh, coming, you know, when you have young players, good young players, and their contracts come up and – how are you going to deal with that? But to have the rock of the team, to be able to keep him in Oakland, oh, that'd be tremendous. That'd be a tremendous get for the Oakland Athletics. All righty, let's go down the top ten once again. Number ten was Grant Balfour. Number nine, Brandon Moss. Number eight, Ioannis Cespedes. Number seven, Jed Lowry. Number six, Sonny Gray. Number five, Coco Chris. Three A, three B, Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson. Number two, Chris Davis. And number one, the A's top player of the decade, Marcus Simeon. This might be one of my favorites that we've done. And for you doing all the research, I think you probably feel the same. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it really was a great decade of A's baseball. Again, five playoff seasons in 10 years. That, that's what's magical about it. All righty. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And the next time we talk, let's go over best closers in Oakland A's history. Best closers. You got it. Have a happy holidays, Chris. Take care, Feldy. Bye-bye. 
This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.